verses 76 to 79. And I want to read them one more time. It says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. There's one phrase here I want to focus on today. One phrase that I think encapsulates the motivation of God at Christmas. I, mean, I love this time of year. I, I just do. I love, I love the lights and the gatherings and the food and the gifts. I love all of it. And I love how it points us to Christ. And I love how it drives us again to look at the coming of Christ and why this is such a huge issue, why this is such a huge deal for us. And there's one phrase that I think gets to the heart of God's motivation. And it's this, God's tender mercy. His tender mercy. And specifically, God's tender mercy for the undeserving. Because that's what mercy is. Mercy is God's love for the undeserving. It's not God's love for those who deserve it, right? I mean, God is, the Father has lo loved Jesus from all eternity, but the Father doesn't need to give Jesus mercy because Jesus is fully glorious and needs no mercy. He is, he is totally deserving of love from the Father, but you and I, on the other hand, we are not. We are deserving of judgment. We are deserving of the opposite of mercy, and God moved with tender mercy, sent his son. Moved with tender compassion. Now there's actually more than meets the eye in this phrase. This is speaking of mercy that starts at the very heart of God. The word tender actually means the inward parts. If you have a King James Bible, it might say something like bowels of mercy. In fact, if Gary King were here right now, he would say, bowels, and in the way that only he could, with that deep, guttural voice, he would say, bowels of mercy. It's referring to what is deep down inside. Maybe you've used the phrase, from the bottom of my heart. You wrong somebody, and you go and ask for forgiveness, and you say, from the bottom of my heart, I am sorry. Or you love somebody dearly and you say, from the bottom of my heart, with all of my heart, with all of my affection, I love you. That's what this is saying about God and his mercy. It's deep down at the bottom of his heart. God's tender mercy or his love for the undeserving is, the, is in the deepest place within him. It means that God's mercy is sincere and it's motivating him deep within. When God acts in mercy, he holds nothing back. His compassion streams forth like rays from the sun. We might say that God's mercy is massive and extreme and intense and deep in its tenderness. We know nothing like it on planet Earth. His mercy is there's this new song. It's, it's actually a hymn, but it's written by the Gettys. It's a new hymn, modern hymn. And it says, Our sins, they are many, 
His mercy is more. I don't know if they stole that from a a Puritan named Richard Sibbs, but he says something very similar in his marvelous book, The Bruised Reed, where he says, Christ's mercy is more than all of our sins. And that is wonderful news for you and I. So this is a kind of mercy. This is a kind of love that we cannot fit into our finite heads. We cannot wrap our minds around and we dare not even try. We can bow before it. We can let it melt our hearts. We can let it change us. This mercy from God goes to the heart of what we celebrate at Christmas. And this is so important because when it gets into us, it will begin to shape our hearts more and more. Right? It will begin to shape what we love more and more. And make no mistake, what you love shows a lot about you. St. Augustine, 1600 years ago, said, that man's fundamental problem is that he has disordered loves. We love things we shouldn't, and we don't love things we should. And it's not enough just to say, stop loving that and start loving this. We need something to happen inside of us. And that's what Jesus came for. That's what motivated God to send his son in tender mercy. When God's tender mercy is driven deep into your heart, you will find yourself loving God more and loving other people more. It'll just happen organically. It'll happen, I was going to say naturally. It is, I mean, supernaturally. It'll happen just organically by God's work. You will love God more and you will love other people more. And what does Jesus say about that? That's actually the fulfillment of the law. That's actually the point, right? That's actually why we're alive is to be saved by God's grace and changed from the inside out so that we love God and love other people. Well, when God's tender mercy goes into us, that's what happens. And wouldn't this be the greatest Christmas gift you could receive this year? Is for God's tender mercy to wash over you like a tidal wave and get deep inside of you so that you love God more and so that you love others more. So let's look at these verses and what God in mercy is motivated to do. God's massive and intense mercy is what I want you to hear and know and experience in your hearts today. And it's what I want you to talk about around the dinner table, at least partially, along with that gift you got, kids, from your parents that you love so much. And I want you to talk about God's massive mercy for you in Christ. God in mercy is motivated to do three things in this passage. First, he visits us. God in mercy visits us. Second, he comes giving gifts or bearing gifts. And third, he gives us an eternal hope. Something beyond what we can get our fingers on right now. It's out into the future. He gives us an eternal hope. So let's look at these one at a time. First, God in mercy visits us. Of course, he visits us in Christ. Verse 78 says this, because of the tender mercy of our God, 
whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The sunrise here is, I think, a clear reference to the Messiah, to Jesus. Look at Malachi 4.2. There are numerous visitations of God in the Old Testament, but they are not like this kind of visitation that, that Zechariah is prophesying of. God visited his people many times. He appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He appeared to all of the Israelites in the wilderness, in the pillar and in the fire, and he appeared to them on Mount Sinai when the top of the mountain was on fire. He appeared to Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army, and there are many other examples. But this visitation is fundamentally different than those. Whenever God visits his people in the Old Testament, it's what we would call a theophany. It's where God manifests himself to human beings. God appears to them. He appears in fire. He appears in the cloud. He even appears as a human. But this is fundamentally different because God didn't just appear as a human. He became one. He didn't just appear as a man. He became a man. The prologue of the Gospel of John begins this way. It says, In the beginning was the Word. Pointing to God the Son, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then we get to the climactic statement several verses later in John 1.14 when it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt here literally means to pitch a tent. Probably a clear allusion, probably an allusion to the, the tabernacle that the Israelites would set up in their camp in the midst of them when they were in the wilderness. Jesus came and dwelt among us. God the Son came and dwelt among us. He put on flesh. He didn't cease to be God at all, not in the least bit, but he became fully man. The holy, eternal God humbled himself to dwell among us as one of us. How much like us did Jesus become? Like us in every way. Hebrews 2 says he was made like us, not in some ways, but in every way. Of course, there is, a, there is one way in which Jesus is not like us. He's never sinned. But in every other way, Christ is like us. God wrapped himself in humanity, became flesh, and dwelt among us. God visited his people. God visits his people. And yet, and because he was made like us in every way, we joyfully sing like we did this morning. Didn't you love the line of that song? Come to earth to taste our sadness. Not just to observe it, not just to see it. He can see it from heaven. But Jesus became fully man. Come to, he came to earth to taste our sadness. There's something really sweet about that. There's something deeply precious about that. 
He doesn't just pat us on the back and say, now, now, everything's gonna be okay. He has sympathy for us because he's tasted our sorrows, our sadness. He whose glories knew no end, and by his life, he brings us gladness, our redeemer, shepherd, and friend. What condescension this is. What mercy this is. But it wasn't the end for which Jesus came. It wasn't, Jesus didn't come to earth just to walk on earth for 33 years and live among us as one of us and then go away. No, he lived, he was crucified for our sin, he rose again, and through faith in him, he now dwells in us by his spirit. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, it's actually better that I go away. He's like, I'm dwelling with you, right? In the flesh, God in the flesh, but it's actually better that I go away because if I don't go away, the helper won't be sent to you, but if I go, I'll send him. In the last six months or so, Galatians 4, 4 to 6, maybe has become my favorite passage in the Bible. I love this passage. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent forth his son. I love that. He sent him forth. Not passively. He sent forth Jesus, his son, to redeem us and make us sons. And then verse six says this, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. God has visited us, beloved. He has visited us and he is with us and more than that, he is even in us. Think about this, the the very spirit that filled the Son of God on the day of his baptism, that filled Peter and Paul and Mary and Martha and all the early Christians that turned the world upside down. He dwells in you and I. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. But notice who Christ visits. Verse 77 describes these people as those who need forgiveness of their sins. In other words, Christ visits sinners. Christ comes to sinful people, not righteous people. Christ comes to sick people, not well people. Christ comes to ungodly people, not good people. I read this article the other day about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. You guys know him? Um, And at the end of his life, he was an ordained Presbyterian minister in the PCUSA denomination, by all means, a very, very gentle, nice man, pietistic in some, some sense. At the end of his life, though, on his deathbed, he's talking to his wife, and he asks the question, am I truly a sheep of Christ? And what he was getting at was, have I done enough good? Have I done enough good? And we all, well, almost everyone in the world would say, well, if anyone has, it's Mr. Rogers, Right? He's a good guy, nice, wouldn't harm a fly. 
Have we done enough good? Jesus didn't come for good people. He came for bad people. He came for rotten people. (laughs) He came for people that were rotten to the core. There is no divine edict from heaven. Get your act together and I will come to you. I will help you then. And if you and I are not careful, even though we intellectually know this is not true, we can live by the motto that's not in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. No, the gospel, that's not the gospel. The gospel is God helps those who can't help themselves and know it. Jesus comes to the sick, not the healthy. And he said this in the Gospels. He came to the needy, not the self-sufficient. He came to the sinful, not the righteous. And he came with full and free pardon from sin for them. Check out Romans 5, 6 through 8. I love this passage. It says, for while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly! For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. In other words, who, many people are going to lay their lives down for a righteous person, maybe for a good person. <laughs> but it says, but God shows his love for us. This is mercy. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. If you are saved today, it is because, because the God of tender and extreme mercy has invaded your life. At the end of the day, that's why you're saved. Because God in mercy came to you. He visited you and brought you to life. Second way that God's mercy is shown here, God shows tender mercy in visiting us with gifts. There's there's particular gifts that he brings, this passage tells us. Again, verse 78 says, and verse 79 says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun, sun, excuse me, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. This visitation of Christ is described as the rising of the sun. The night is on its way out. A new day is dawning. And this is a big deal. It's not like, it's not just a matter of looking on the bright side of things or, hey, it's a new day, right? Turn a new leaf. What is being described here is huge. It's the dawning of a new era. We sang it earlier. Dawn of redeeming grace. Something new has happened in the coming of Christ. It's the dawn of an era or the age of grace and mercy from God through Christ. And there is an amazing sense of anticipation. Right? He brings light and life and peace. It's like a child. The anticipation is like this child that you can feel in this passage. It's like a, a child that's Christmas morning. 
He's just waiting for that smallest sliver of the sun to come up over the horizon so he can wake up mom and dad and open up Christmas packages, right? He's so excited for the gifts that day is going to bring. This last week, I had Cedric straying in my car, Luke and Elizabeth's oldest son, and uh, Christian was there too, but Cedric was talking, as he often is. He has lots to say, um, and I loved, the, I got this great example from him. He said, I think he said it last year or the year before. I can't remember for sure. He said the night before Christmas, he went to bed so excited, he woke up at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> and thought it was morning time. And he went downstairs, oh, it's only 11. Oh my goodness. So he's like, he's, you know, devastated. He has to go back to sleep. He goes back to sleep. He has a hard time falling asleep. He gets up again at three o'clock in the morning and he's up for the rest of the day. For the Christian, for the Christian, the sun has risen. The sun has risen. Christ has come. And with the rising of the sun, the Son of God, our Lord, comes with gifts. Verse 79 says, he gives light to those who sit in darkness. He gives life to those who are in the shadow of death. And he gives peace to those who know nothing of peace. Light, life, and peace. I think it's three ways of describing our salvation. He gives light for our darkness. Those who sit in darkness, stuck in darkness with no hope. I, I think it's interesting it says those who sit in darkness. Not just that they're in darkness and not that they're walking around in the darkness, maybe trying to find their way out, but they're sitting there. They're stuck with no hope. He brings light. And what's this darkness? Well, I think it's ignorance of spiritual truth. Apart from Christ shining light into our eyes, we know nothing of the truth. We were in utter darkness, you and I, spiritual darkness, utterly devoid and completely ignorant of God's truth. Ephesians 4.18 describes those separated from Christ as darkened in their understanding. That's a state of being unsaved. And that's what you and I once were. But Christ came and the sun rose on our darkness and gave us light, opening our eyes to see the truth of who he is. I love the way that this is described in 2 Corinthians 4 when it says, the God who said, let there be light has shined into our hearts, giving the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He gives us light. That's a gift from Christ. He gives us light to see who he is, the truth of who he is, and worship and adore him. He gives us life. He gives us light. He also gives us life. Last night, I don't know why I was laying down going to bed, and just as I was thinking about this point in particular, that, that line from Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian is running out of town stopping his ears as his wife and children are running after him and other people are running after him saying, come back, come back. And he's 
stopping his ears and yelling, life, life, eternal life. Let me ask you, do you get excited about eternal life? I mean, life can be good here, but it does not compare to what is before us. And I don't want to make it sound like, like, like what our, our, our life here isn't connected with eternal, like what we're going to experience when Jesus comes again. It certainly is. But eternal life seems like a really good deal for us. <laughs> don't you think? Especially when we think of the alternative. <laughs> right? Those who dwell in the shadow of death, what is that? That is spiritual death, right? No life, dead in our sins, which leads to eternal separation from God? That's what you and I once were. We were dead in our sins and God raised us to life. Hark the herald angels sing. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth. And Romans 6 says, we have been raised with Christ spiritually and we are to walk in this newness of life that he gives us. He gives us light, he gives us life, he also gives us peace. Christ came to give us peace with God, a peace that surpasses all human comprehension. And without this peace from God, we run from one thing to another, our hearts restless, looking for rest until we find it in Christ. And there is none found outside of Christ. But he gives us peace. He doesn't just give us peace in our hearts, but he also makes us, he enables us to be peacemakers. I love how it says, to guide our feet in the way of peace. In other words, that we might receive the peace of God that passes all understanding, and then that we might walk in the path of peace and make peace wherever we go. So God shows tender Intense mercy in visiting us with gifts through Christ. Light, life, and peace. And third, God shows tender mercy in giving us a certain hope. And yesterday, I just looked at this phrase that Jesus' coming is metaphorically seen as the sun rising. And just looked at it from a slightly, just a, a different angle. Christ's first advent, first coming, is not like the sun in full strength. It's like the sun rising, right? It's like the sun beginning to come up. And I think the metaphor of Christ coming at Christmas as the sunrise is meant to stir up longing and hope. Longing and hope. And by hope, I mean a certain confidence of a future good that you don't yet fully possess. You can't touch it. You can't see it with your physical eyes, but you know it's coming. We praise God for the work of Christ, his incarnation, his, his perfect obedience for us, his shed blood, the debt he paid. God's wrath that's been removed through the sacrifice of Christ, his forgiveness that he paid for, adoption, our adoption into God's family is guaranteed. The down payment of the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit with us now. 
And we even have a foretaste of glorious joy in Christ now. But the end is not yet, is it? And we, we know that. When we leave here, many of us are going to, well, when you get up from your seat, okay, I'll put it that way. If you've been sitting long enough, you're going to get up and you're going to have a little ache in your back, all right? And that's because, maybe not David here, but some of, some of you will, and that's because the end is not yet. The sun is not shining in full strength yet. Death still dogs us. Disease still ravages even Christians. We still battle sin on a daily basis. The devil still roams like a lion seeking to devour. Romans 8.23, this is where I got that idea of achy back because I think it's included in this. Romans 8.23 says, we all, Paul includes himself, we all groan, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We still wait eagerly for Christ to come. And so the Christian, you and I, if you believe in Christ, along with the joy and glory of what Christ has done, we still long for the consummation of all things. We still long for him to come and wrap things up, don't we? Don't we? I'm I'm actually really glad Luke... uh, I assume he's the one that decided to do this song this morning or pushed for it. I'm glad we sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Because I think it beautifully strikes the note of joy and sorrow, of victory and longing, of celebrating what we have in Christ already and longing for what we don't yet have that we will in the future. This was one of the verses we sang, O come, desire of nations, bind. In one, the hearts of all mankind, O bid our sad divisions cease, and be yourself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. And so this picture of Christ coming as the sun rising, I think is meant to pick up our weary hearts, and there are times our hearts are weary, with deep encouragement. It's meant to fill us with hope and help us to see that the end is certain. You might say, how does it do that? Here's how. When you see the sun rising, it's just a matter of time, isn't it? before it's overhead. It's gonna happen. (laughs) Even on a cloudy day when you don't see it very well, it's overhead. It's gonna happen. It is certain. It is for sure. It's just a matter of time until Christ comes again and all our groaning ends and death is no more and disease is no more and our battle with sin is gone and our battle with the flesh is gone and the devil is utterly demolished forever and cast into the lake of fire and everything sad comes untrue it's just a matter of time it's going to happen 
That's our hope. And God our Father, who is so rich in mercy, he wants you to be filled with this hope. Not just kind of this passive... Listen, we, we, we got it pretty good here in America, don't we? I mean, we can, we can live life very comfortably and it just feels like heaven can wait, <laughs> right? May God fill us with this hope. Even when life seems to be going well. God wants us to be filled with this hope, the hope of Christ's second coming when he wraps up Everything. It can make you strong and durable in an uncertain world. And this is actually what made the early Christians so durable and unstoppable was their eternal hope in Christ. The God of mercy, of tender mercy, gives us a certain hope. Well, how would God have us respond this morning to this? We're not just spectators. How would God have us respond to this this morning? I think in two ways, at least two ways. First, let your heart be melted by the tender mercy of God. Let your heart be melted by it. Let it be melted like like wax, you know, that when it's soft, you can kind of mold it and shape it. Let your heart be melted by God's tender mercy, moldable by the Lord of glory so that he can shape and fashion you so that you have a tender heart. It says in 2 Chronicles, I think it's chapter 34, it says that that Josiah had a tender heart so that we would have a tender heart toward God. In other words, don't listen to what I'm saying today like the evening news like you listen to the evening news, especially if you have cable TV, right? 24-7 news cycle, there's always the next story. You hear the evening news, you hear one story, you say, interesting, what's next? Don't do that with this. Don't do that with this. Sit under the light and the heat of God's tender mercy until your heart is melted, until your heart is soft and tender before God. I was praying for this for myself. I mean, I, I was yesterday, last night, and even this morning. Like, Lord, I want my heart to be melted by this tender mercy. I want that. And you know what? As we were singing today, it happened. And it can happen to you right now. When we sang nothing but the blood of Jesus, I'm like, man, this is the best Christmas song ever. It is, maybe. I thought of uh, David Bryan yesterday at at the brunch said, I want to share, I think what he said, he didn't say I think, he said the best Christmas passage in the Bible. And and if you're like me, you you were thinking like me, Isaiah 9, 11, you know, 7, um, Luke 1, 2, Matthew 1. He said, Esther. It's like, (laughs) Esther? And he read and was like, amen. Let your heart be melted by God's rich and tender mercy for you. 
Don't settle for a heart that is hard and cold. A block of ice, if it sits under the sun for a short time, a little layer of the ice will melt away. But for it all to melt, it needs to sit there for a while. Sit under the sun of God's mercy for you. His tender mercy, his rich love for you, though you don't deserve it. Linger here for a while. Many came here today with cold hearts toward God. Maybe not many, some. Fix your thoughts on the tender mercy of God through Christ. And if you have to, beg him to melt your heart. Ask him, melt my heart. And second, once your heart is melted by God's mercy, spread mercy. Spread it. Spread the mercy of God by telling others of our excellent, merciful God. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, You are a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have. Spread mercy by telling others of our excellent, merciful God. And spread mercy by being merciful. You and I, and Christians in general, should be the most merciful people in the world. Unfortunately, that's not often the case. But we have received mercy. We've received mercy. So how dare we be vindictive and vengeful and unforgiving and bitter and cold-hearted toward those in need? The mighty, holy God, our Father, has opened up his massive heart of love and poured it out upon us. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love that, as God in Christ forgave you. As God has forgiven you. Be merciful as God in Christ has been merciful to you. God has been tender-hearted towards you in Christ, and so treat others that way. If you are a if you tend to be a hard and somewhat unmerciful person, the problem is that the tender mercy of God has not gone deep enough. That's the problem. It's not that you need to try harder. It's that you need your loves reordered by the tender mercy of God. When God's tender mercy that comes from the bottom of his heart goes into the bottom of ours, 
you and I are able to spread it to others. And wouldn't that be the best? I mean, honestly, when, when we get together with others for Christmas gatherings or even when we go to work, rub shoulders with others, wouldn't that be the best thing this, this season? To have our hearts flooded by God's mercy and by his grace and power of the Holy Spirit, we can spread it to others. Let's pray that God would do that. Can you stand with me? Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the tender mercy you've shown us in Christ. We thank you that your son Jesus, at your behest, he came and visited the undeserving like me, like us, and has brought light, life, and peace. Father, I pray that our hearts would be opened and melted before you at this wonderful mercy you have granted us, you have given to us. And your mercies are new every day. And I praise God for that because I need it every day. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that this would not be something we just move past and on to the next thing, but that you would move deeply in our hearts. We would be so full of awe and wonder and tenderness at your great mercy for us, toward us, and that we would be moved organically from our hearts to speak of your mercy and to show mercy. And Father, I pray that we not just look for people just for people outside our homes and outside our church. I pray we'd start in our homes, in our places of work, the people that know us best, that we would be merciful, showing that we serve a God of rich mercy. In Jesus' name. And everyone said,